You know, I'm like the person who, when I get the IKEA dresser and it says definitely use two people, I'm like, I can do it myself. <laughs> we put so much time, energy, literally blood, sweat, and tears into the stuff that we do. I really do hope that people enjoy the product that results from that. You're listening to Our Shared Field, where we bring artists into conversation with people from outside of the arts. I'm your host, Austin Camille. Welcome to the last part of the conversation we began two weeks ago between local carpenter Marielle Herring and site-responsive artist Sonia Blasowski. After sharing conversations with Sonia and Marielle, when we all sat down together, something really clicked. It's rare to have three women who deal with construction and carpentry sharing a conversation. We began by talking about how we think about, use, and perform our bodies in our workspaces. Well, I love the question, you know, when do I feel most myself in my body? I, I mean, I feel, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fair, I feel fairly self-assured just generally as a person. Um, uh, but if I think about that question of, you know, how I feel when I feel most myself and my body in relation to my work, um, it's really when no one is around. And, um, <laughs> and I, and I know a hundred percent, you know, and I'm a hundred percent sure that there's no audience. And, um, Marielle, this is probably something that, that also is familiar to you is that I, I make work on site. And so there are, are almost always people around me. And I'm very self-conscious about, you know, how I sink a screw into the wall or how I'm, um, you know, performing a, a pretty basic construction type of task because I'm uh, worried about being judged on how I'm doing it. And part of that comes from um, just my background is that I'm, I'm trained as a painter, not a sculptor. And so my sort of um, three-dimensional sculptural construction knowledge uh, is, is, has been picked up along the way. I, I guess I used the word performing, you know, in relation to my body and in my work, because I think as women we might always be performing. Mm -hmm. I, I've been thinking a lot about um, where and how people take power or are empowered. I have so much to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly spat out my water when he said that you prefer or you feel most comfortable when no one else is there because that's 100% the case. Yeah, that's why I like working by myself. The first thing I thought of in response to your question, Austin, was I feel most comfortable within my body and most sort of grounded when I'm actually squatting on the floor. Hmm. Um, and there's something very natural about that to me. I've always done it. And so it just sort of feels like this perfectly natural way of being. And in that stance, like it sort of gives me domain over a fairly small area. Um, yeah, having a woman's body on site and being self-conscious about how you sink a screw into drywall, I've been there. Um, and, um, I think something you said about performing as women also really resonated with me. I often feel like I'm performing in such a way to make other people more comfortable in my presence. Doesn't matter if I am extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. 
also as someone working as a carpenter, I completely hear what both of you are saying. One of the other things that you'd said, Mariel, that um, I'm also kind of curious to hear if this is something that you do as well, Sonia, the the notion of being by yourself and working and, and feeling comfortable in that space. I know, Marielle, you'd also mentioned when you're doing that, you're having to um, kind of create your own tools in order to like compensate for needing another pair of hands sometimes, um, or you're like using your body as a tool in a way. Is that a process that you also feel a kinship to, Sonia? I definitely do feel a kinship with that. Um, I think Personally, I am someone that has always had a difficult time asking for assistance, you know, uh, personally or professionally. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm like the person who, when I get the Ikea dresser and it says definitely use two people, I'm like, I can do it myself. Um, (laughs) And so, um, you know, and then I, and then I end up, you know, straining a muscle or, Um, you know, that my reach is only so big. And, um, I think for a long time, I thought I should have, should be able to do it myself. And that may, that may be, you know, partly related to my gender that, you know, I don't want to be the woman that asks for help. I also love just as an artist to have my hand in everything. I'm not attractive to just delegating a job to someone and not having any, sort of physical connection to it. So maybe it's some of that too. But yeah, I do a lot of, you know, using an elbow and a hand and another arm, you know, reaching out and using a foot and up on a ladder and, you know, all these things. I'm, I'm personally learning more and more to take assistance when it's offered that it's not someone underestimating me. I think I've spent a lot of my life worried about being underestimated or, you know, um, preemptively that idea of proving yourself so that I'm not underestimated. Yeah. I, that definitely resonates with me. And like, just from my own, like personal history, like whether it's gendered or not, um, I think like just in the last maybe even year alone, that's something that I've been really focusing on and trying to like tell myself a new narrative, basically like, accepting help doesn't mean admitting weakness. Like there are some things that like none of us can do alone and that's perfectly okay. Well, it's interesting. I, um, you know, my, my parents are uh, 74 years old and my, my mother, I don't think she necessarily aligned herself with the feminist movement um, in the 1960s, but she certainly aligned herself with the civil rights movement and the anti-Vietnam war movement. But um she's always been very independent. And uh, recently when I have offered her assistance, there have been times where she thinks it's because I think, I quote, think she's old and dotty, you know, daughtery. And that's not that. It's that we offer assistance to the people that we love and care about and we um, want to make their lives easier. Or when I point out, that a staircase is steep or, you know, I mentioned that this is a place, good place to hold the handrail. This is something I would do for anyone I care about that's going down a steep stairway behind me. And then it's not a form of underestimation. I see that proving yourself, you know, as a woman still existing in a form 
you know, even my mother who is, is 74 and was one of the, you know, one of the only women in her class of medical doctors, you know, in 1972. That's actually kind of similar to the sort of technique that I've been using for my own like self healing purposes. Um, I, I've been trying to see myself objectively as I would someone that I love very deeply. And just like the way that you're describing, like helping your mom out, like just navigating in an older body, like, you know, as we're doing like sometimes difficult and dangerous work to like give yourself the same kindness. Um, I just took like a hour and a half long Epsom salt soak (laughs) because it's amazing how much you can store in your body. And when you rely so heavily on it in the work that we do, it can lead to injury when you're just doing basic tasks. And um, it's something that I've, I've been doing more and more regularly, like in the last couple of years, just like making sure like, oh, you know, I'm feeling incredibly tense. I think it's time for a bath <laughs> because I'm trying to take care of this. <laughs> Even just over the last year or two, there's just been a lot more language around this idea of self-care as well. Um, One of the things I also really wanted to ask both of you and kind of moving outwards from like the side of your body to the sites that you're actually working within, you both have spoken, you know, about this idea of being very responsive to your site and kind of changing what you do according to maybe changes that are taking place in the site itself. I'm curious to know, do you think that 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 kind of skill and instinct that you both have, is that something... And, and, and I don't know if you can identify it necessarily, but like, do you think that's maybe coming from training in the arts? Is it something that's um, learned or is it instinctual for you? I feel like this is probably so different from, you know, Marielle from being a sort of a trained carpenter. And maybe it's not different. Um, for me, I'm really interested in the notion of improv, you know, improvisation. And um, I think, Part, part of it for me is being interested in a challenge. And so, so that's what makes it interesting for me, this having to think on my toes. I think I'm, you know, there's so much we do in preparation for what we do, but I think I'm, I'm just so interested in responding to the environment that that, that is much more interesting to me than sticking with some plan. I'm not sure that really answered your question, but maybe Marielle has something that's more insightful about herself. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's a, it is a complex question. And so I think in response, I have a multifaceted answer. Um, for me as a person, I think, I think that sort of skill has been maybe always sort of there. I think I always was very observant. I I can't also answer this question without sort of, because we have been talking so much about bodies, talking about it in a physical way. I feel like I have always been interested in exploring how my body fits into space. Like I, um, I grew up in Mount Airy in Northwest Philly and our houses were sort of built in such a way so that they kind of dug out for the foundation and created like a little hill along the street. So the back of the house where the the driveway was, was actually below grade. 
And we had this like stone retainer wall next to um, the garage that would that led up to like a little garden area and like a back door into the kitchen. And I used to love climbing this like six foot wall as a kid. I took like a an indoor rock climbing class one time to like, I think it was in college to get like a, a PE credit, but also I was like, you know what? Like I'm terrified of heights. Like I kind of want to just like try it. It feels safe. It feels like a good way to explore it. And I loved it. Like just being able to sort of like monkey my way into weird spaces. Like I feel like I always get tasked with like doing the most insane stuff. When Marielle mentioned rock climbing, it hit me that, as someone who also loved monkeying up rocks and trees as a kid, there's something in that snap decision-making process that oddly does feel related to the same types of responsive decisions that are made in both art and carpentry. I asked Marielle and Sonia about the improvised decisions that they're making every day, and it turns out that they're both finding things behind the walls. One of the funny things that you come across when you're doing a renovation during the demo stage is all of the weird choices that all of the contractors before you made. And, you know, we kind of joke, we love to trash talk. We just, we love, (laughs) love it. You would be surprised by how gossipy (laughs) the men I work with are. They love it. It's hilarious. Um, But yeah, like you'll make fun of the way someone did something and then like, build something and maybe you had to make some weird choices when you put it up and it's just like well what are the people who take this apart in however many years gonna say about us um well it's funny because i am also the one finding that random contractors bizarro fix behind the wall (laughs) and for me when i find some you know, contractor, construction worker, or carpenter's prior work when I cut open or cut into a wall. I mean, I'm overjoyed at the bizarre things I find. To me, it's very exciting how someone makes these on-site decisions. And, you know, I think of myself as, um, you know, improvising (laughs) on-site. And I'm not trained in construction or even sculpture. And so I'm always making these really funny decisions that I, I decide to leave. I, I leave it transparent. You know, I, I, that's part of my work is that the flaws are, are all visible and the process is visible. But I always had this notion that someone that was trained to be fabricating walls in homes and cabinets that, um, that, you know, they weren't improvising in any way, right? Because unlike me, they know how to measure properly, you know, um, they, you know, they know how to fit something into a space. But what I've found is that when I do do the, you know, this kind of cutting into walls and urban excavation, um, I'm, I'm just floored by the whimsy that is involved, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, it's just incredible the kind of, you know, random shimming and stapling and, you know, just the, you know, what I love about it that I feel a kinship with is um, 
making it work with what's on hand. And to me, that's a really exciting part of my process. And luckily, you know, for those construction workers, I think they close up the wall so no one sees it uh, until mm-hmm. I open it up and reveal it. But, um, you know, I, I'm really, I mean, that's one of my biggest interests is revealing that history that's there, whether it's the more recent mm-hmm. history of 10 years prior, you know, or this history that's, you know, 50 or 100 years beforehand. I'm really uh, interested in unearthing it and and showing it and showing the, you know, the kind of humanity of what someone that was involved with the building before me, mm. you know, what was doing all of the flaws that are there, you know, speak to mm. the, the, you know, the, all of the flawed and, you know, thinking and creativity of the humans that were dealing with the space before me. I'm wondering, you know, Marielle, you said that you are doing a lot of finished carpentry, right. And this kind of like higher end work or whatever. I'm, I'm wondering where, where the, the, you know, where and how you end up improvising. Like, do you ever end up doing something that's totally wacky that maybe no one's going to say? I don't know. I mean, not to have you reveal your flaws, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just interested in, you know, like what's the wackiest thing you ever did that no one's going to see, you know? <laughs> okay, well... Probably the wackiest thing if we're going there. Um, uh, there was a, a brownstone renovation that I was a part of a few years ago. And like really beautiful, like double double doors for the front door. And the, um, the homeowner wanted them to be restored. And I was apprenticing with um, sort of like a, a master a carpenter who like works in like restoration carpentry. And so he was showing me techniques about like how to do, how to make a Dutchman, which is a patch in the existing wood, seamless. Um, It was really cool. So because we had to do that, I think there was maybe some old hardware that had been like bored out, you know, in the surface of the door. Um, We put a note in the door behind it, (laughs) like something stupid, right? Like just like wrote our names and like made some, probably like a potty joke about someone, (laughs) just like whatever. Um, but that's that's in the door of a multi-million dollar home. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I if no one's going to see it, it doesn't matter what it looks like mm. as long as it's not affecting any structural integrity of whatever it is you're doing. Um, it's not necessarily like the prettiest on the backside, but that's usually where I get away with stuff. Like if I have to like, maybe there's like a nail or a screw that's like pushing my piece of wood out. I'll just like curve a little section on the back and then it'll sit flush. Um, so if you were to take that baseboard off and like see that there's this weird thing like notched out, like, oh, it's, well, it's because there was metal <laughs> in the way. Something like that. Yeah, if it, if it doesn't have to look precise, it's not going to most likely. <laughs> I love that. I feel, yeah, I resonate with that so strongly as well. You, you've both talked about this outward connection that you hope your work has. Um, so whether it's like in a gallery space and someone, you know, has like an emotional or intellectual connection to it or Marielle, like you're making, 
you know, a beautiful countertop. It has a functional or aesthetic connection to the person, you know, who ends up living there. Do you think about the lives of your work after you've left the space? I think one of the first... It was it was when I was like still pretty new at carpentry. One of the first like sort of like finished carpentry products I got was um, to build some floating shelves for this was a huge house for one of the bathrooms, <laughs> and it was just like so thrilling to like to get that sort of opportunity because at that time I had sort of been doing like pretty like low grade work. I just remember joking with my supervisor like when I was like all done and like I just like all right this is all good like what's the next thing he's like only the finest linens will go on these shelves. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like to think that, you know, we put so much time, energy, literally blood, sweat, and tears into the stuff that we do. I really do hope that people enjoy, you know, the product that results from that. Um, one of the last jobs that we finished this year, I installed the kitchen and it's just a really beautiful, welcoming space. And like, you know, the family is going to spend a lot of their time there. And that's kind of awesome to think about. Like, I made this space that they're going to be able to like enjoy each other's company in. Mm. Um, that that means something to me. And so like, the more I can sort of like invest myself in the things that I make, which is part of the reason why I am so interested in working more independently, right? Is like to have more autonomy and like the overall design of things like I think I could make some really cool looking stuff for people you know and it's just like being able to sort of have that um finished product or finished space at the end of the day and be like I made that and someone's gonna love it for a long time feels awesome (laughs) it feels really awesome yeah it's it's interesting my work is so incredibly different than that because my work is temporary and so I invest a whole lot when I'm on site. And I, in some ways, I'm thinking about the kind of history of a space that might mean something to someone, a kitchen that they've loved and spent time in, right? A living room, a living space. And I'm utilizing some of the artifacts of that experience. You know, I think a lot about the lives that were lived in the places where I scavenge materials from, right? So they all have a history embedded in them. Um, And I can tell you, you know, I live in a building that's over a hundred years old and it's got poor ventilation and it smells like whatever people have been cooking for the last hundred (laughs) years, you know? (laughs) So, um, so I, I think about that, but in this really different way. And the, and so the connection point for me, I think is so much more temporary than thinking of, that idea of the years that someone might spend. I mean, what a beautiful idea, right? The years that someone might spend in the space that you've created is really, I can see how that's so powerful when you're actually making the space for them. And, you know, for me, the work is really, it's it's temporary and the usually the sculptures that are in the space get dismantled and the walls get closed back up. And it's really, you know, in some ways... It's a, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor for everything in life being temporary um, and fleeting. And it's a little bit of a, a, a speeding that up, you know, so in six weeks it comes and goes. But I think the connection that, you know, I hope to have with someone that experiences the space is derived maybe from their own history and their own memory 
so that they have a, an experience in it that they connect with, right? It reminds them of a space they've lived in. It reminds them of uh, the buildings that are being demolished around them. It reminds them of, you know, a place that they went that they'll never uh, return to again. Um, you know, a special space that they had an experience in. And, um, you know, I, I mostly, and, and this is probably very similar, is that I don't actually see the connection. You know, I don't spend that much time at the gallery when I make a show. You know, I make the show and I spend a lot of time, at, you know, living my, my life elsewhere when it's up. But, um, you know, I, I happened in, in, in the last solo show that I had up, I happened to be visiting the gallery one day and sitting at the desk with the gallery director while the show was open and um, a visitor came through and, you know, she experienced the space and on her way out, she was looking at the desk, at the information there. And she, she didn't know I was the artist. And she said to the gallery director, she said, this show is so sensitive and, um, you know, and she was, and she said a little something else, but she was speaking about the space and, and the way that I had, the way that I, that I had been sensitive to the space and sensitive with the materials. And to me, that was the, one of the highest compliments I've ever gotten. Um, mm -hmm. And, but that to me is the, is the kind of connection I'm, I'm looking for, right? That someone just sort of take the time to experience a, a space that's been treated sensitively, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's been responded to sensitively. And in turn, she was able to respond, you know, or she did respond to that. I really, I love that. I do. That really does feel like one of the highest compliments because it's like you really took the time to be in a place and notice it and and to have a relationship with it and with the materials that you're working with. So I can see why that would feel like probably one of the most remarkable things <laughs> that someone could say to you. I, that would make me want to cry. <laughs> like I'm, I'm thinking about that idea of sensitivity, right, to materials and to space. And I'm interested in how, I mean, I, I can kind of hear, Marielle, how that plays out in your work, right? Yeah, that's um, sensitive, sensitivity to the space and sensitivity to the materials is something that's really important with the work that I do. I find that we'll come up to a specific project and it's like, okay, this is what's called out for in the drawings or like, what if, what about, you know, like maybe if we're doing something, for instance, there was um, a bathroom renovation that I did and the architect wanted to have a really slim wall pocket for a pocket door. And we're like, okay, so like we want to make sure that we can do this so that, you know, the thinner your wall is, the more flimsy it is, right? We wanted to figure out a way that we could do that without compromising the structural integrity of the wall, but also using the right materials so that because it was in a bathroom, it wasn't going to react negatively with moisture. And so like we sort of throw ideas around with each other and like come up with like the best solution, like what, what makes the most sense here? And it really does come down to sort of thinking outside of the box. It's not just for right now, for this particular moment. It's like, how is this going to um, hold up? And especially for a general contractor, like your work is essentially under warranty for a year, year and a half or something after you finish the job. So if there's any problem, like it's on you to fix it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I think, I think the more sensitive 
people are when they're, you know, doing work like this, I think the better it is. And, you know, I think that in itself can be, can be a gendered thing, but not necessarily. Um, Though I think like the more women who do work like that, I think those are more conversations that you typically will come across. Um, Like just being more mindful about the space and how it's used and, and what's required of the materials, not just like to make it look good, but for like a long-term situation. Yeah, absolutely. If you're new to the podcast and want to learn more about Marielle and Sonia, you can go back and listen to episodes seven and eight with their individual interviews. Our shared field doesn't end at the recorded audio. You can learn more about the guests and follow their interactions at chat.squarespace.com. Music for this episode is by Philadelphia artist Liz Delise, whose work is a celebration of queer identity and self and body. You can check out more of their work on our website. Again, that's chat.squarespace.com. Thank you to the Center for Humanities at Temple University for hosting this podcast and to our technical director, Eric Carbonara at Nada Sound Studio. This podcast is recorded in North Philadelphia on the ancestral lands of the Lenny Lenape people, whose presence and resilience in Pennsylvania continues to this day. Join me next week to meet the first guest on our fourth conversation, artist and plant collaborator Ellie Irons, who will be working with organics business owner Mike Sarant. These plants are relatives and kin, and they may have something to offer us, but they also are living on their own as an integral part of our ecosystem. Until then, I'm Austin Camille. Thank you for listening to Our Shared Field.